Every day we hoistle in at Pilots and Pictards Podcasts. Welcome to the Pilots and Petards podcast. This is Drew, the pragmatic and bleeding heart cyclops of this podcast. I'm Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist pilot critic, and Kenny of the podcast. I'm Liz. I'm a mother of a cat, the spark plug and keeper of hot takes. I dole them out as I will. And the motherfucking magical Miss Mo, master of pilots, nobos, and spoilers, is out this week. She should be back soon. And this is the podcast with nothing much to do about aircrafts, but potentially everything to do with the first episode of a filmic series. Yeah, quick disclaimer, uh, petard is a word, is a real word, and petards are a fancy word for bombs. So if you talk about bombs in your everyday life, just throw a petard in there and see what people do. Look it up, read your Shakespeare. Pilots and Petards is a proud member of the But Why Though podcast community. We would like to thank today's sponsor, Fitz, for this ad-free listening. And uh, today's slander goes out to Christmas presents. Uh, eat baby shit Christmas presents. We don't appreciate your clutter or wasting our time returning you. Next year, before being given to someone as another gift they don't want or need, so just, you know, just fuck off. Fuck off presents. Oh, you too, Bilmar. Contact us to sponsor a show or to slander a rival. We will do it for money. And if you enjoyed today's ad-free listening, then you owe us. We could stack never-ending crooked ads and create sob stories as to why we need your money, but we don't. So tell someone to listen to our show, or give us some feedback, or listen to another episode. Welcome back, Hoisters. This is the extended discussion. If you would like a spoiler-free discussion of the pilot episode titled Pilot for Deadly Class, then check out our previously released episode. So now we're going to dive into part two of our podcast. This is our filmic analysis and interpretation. We're going to talk about the story. And as always, we're going to start with our Crabman Award. For any new listeners, the Crabman goes to a small character, not always a small character, goes to a character with a small role, but giving large contributions to the story or our viewing pleasure. And Liz, if you want to think of one, I'm going to just throw out Reagan. I have one, but I don't want to say it till oh, the end. Oh, secrets. Wait, why? Secrets. It's a competition, Liz. Why did you get to... Uh, let's, let's make Liz go first, Jimbo. I was going to say the Nazi di- Dixie girl. That is also what I said. So uh, I guess this is a short crab man <laughs> segment because <laughs> we cut Jimbo first. off. And then, um, then uh, yeah, we had the same one. I think it's the Dixie Mafia girl. She has the 80s hair, which sets the setting. She gets hit in the face with the rod, which kind of sets the weird, hyper-realistic, violent tone. And then, yeah, she's totally a Nazi. So, there's that. Jimbo, you want to throw your hat in one more time for Reagan? Nah, she's cool, man. Yeah, like, her getting whacked in the face like that at the very beginning, and you have no idea what's going on. That's a strong scene. And so, she's a, so she's a, a strong crab Nazi. Yeah, she is a strong crab Nazi, and I don't want to, like, click-click for her. No, no click-click for Nazis. Uh, so next up, we have our MVP. This is the most valuable part of the pilot episode. This could be on-screen, off-screen. This could be a character. This could be an aspect. Um, Jimbo, we cut you off before. I will not cut you off this time, but I make no promises. Go. So as I mentioned, I really like the first part of the show. And the internal monologue, I think, kind of sells the character well. So... I don't know if I necessarily loved his internal monologue the whole time, but I definitely think that, you know, the things that he's thinking in his head is interesting and it definitely helps us to understand his world. Um, yeah, I thought the internal monologue was strong, um, especially his 
the storytelling he's doing. He's doing a really nice job of like showing and telling with the eternal monologue, especially in like the hobo camp. Like when he's like with the other homeless people in the encampment and stuff, he fills in a lot of good holes while the director gets a lot of good shots. So I would say, yeah, the internal monologue uh, is definitely doing a lot of lifting and a lot of um, good explaining, not bad explaining. I was slightly disappointed after I read the graphic novel because in the graphic novel, he's writing in his journal and he gets really upset when someone steals his journal. And so it's kind of cool that like they frame the story around his journal and the pilot probably could have done that too. Um, I was going to say, I, I always think it's interesting how uh, things that adapt comic books uh, handle internal monologue, because just about every comic book has that. Um, and it, it, it acts very different than a traditional novel, uh, because it, obviously it's much shorter, um, and and it, it truly is, you know, basic internal thoughts. Uh, so it's always interesting to see how they do that, because sometimes they just straight up ignore it. Sometimes they can, you know, seamlessly... Uh, put it in there. My MVP is the character Maria Salazar. Um, I think her aesthetics are like very faithful to the comic book um, in her Dia de los Muertos outfit. I don't know a ton about the holiday and the culture behind it itself. So it is very faithful. I will say that that is cr- that is true. So like the the shot of her in her makeup with like her blades on her fans very early on in the episode kind of geeked me out because I was just like, wow, they did a really good job casting this actress. And she's one of my favorite characters in the comic book. She's a really cool um, dynamic story that like is, I think, pretty strong and pretty cool throughout like both major arcs, like the first and the second. And so I was excited and happy at how big of a part the pilot she was. So I like that she's a major part of the show. And I think that the actress that portrays her um, does a good job. Like sometimes like young actors and actresses um, don't do the best job, like hopping around tone and things like that. And they get like older people to play high school people. But I don't like that. I don't like going old for high school. I agree. She was, she was one of my MVPs as well. Since we're talking about her, should, should we just talk about the, uh, the cultural appropriation? I can. Yeah. In the comic and in the show, she has it there. The first like kind of moments is uh, it, there's like a Dio de los Muertos celebration going on. And then she is in, you know, almost like a flamenco gown with the sugar skull paint. And she has fans. Um, the, the problem is basically that's nothing of what Dio de los Muertos is. So the Day of the Dead is very... It's very like you you go to a grave with your family and you're visiting your loved ones who are coming back from the dead. It's a very it's a holiday that's really rooted in Catholic faith. Um, and the sugar skulls, which are often kind of the thing that's most often appropriated, it's it's supposed to be this really happy thing. And so sometimes it's frustrating to see that being used for like, an outfit that, yeah, scary or representing killing because there's nothing scary about Dio de los Muertes. It's, it's, it's kind of this, the best representation in current media I can think of is Coco. Coco does it great because nothing's scary about it. You know, there's, there's sugar skulls. There's, there's that art, but it's, it's, it, this is one of those things where it's very clearly a white person who thinks they know what Dio de los Muertes wrote this. And I know that sounds like, mean but 
It's just a massive misunderstanding. Are there parades? Not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> and certainly not, like, it, it's a family holiday. Is it possible that, like, San Francisco culture has just adopted that as, like, another St. Patty's Day? Like, in the 80s, was it possible that people would go and get dressed up and kind of get drunk? I doubt it. Fitz, look it up. I mean, in regards to the history of Mexicans in this country, while there have been Mexicans in this country for a very long time, it's not something that was really welcomed. Um, a lot of Hispanic immigrants have faced um, d- similar struggles as uh, black people in this country, uh, but they're, they're faced it a little later. They didn't – sometimes that – the whole civil rights movement, it didn't really hit uh, the Latinx community or even the Asian community until, you know, much later, unfortunately. And that's just a whole other thing. So I have, I'm not saying I'm not wrong, but I have a very hard time believing that San Francisco has a Dio de los Muertes parade because it's not a jazz funeral. Like that, that parade looked like a jazz funeral to me being someone who's from New Orleans. And that's not what that is. I kind of feel like, homogenous american culture like culturally appropriated like um what is it called like cinco de mayo as like a party celebration thing that was misunderstood more so than dia de los muertos no because uh, yeah and cinco de mayo it, it's supposed to be like the independence day of mexico which is not that's like september 16th but it's like the a big battle was fought or something but yeah that's that's definitely something i think is more appropriated um than than dia de los muertes Hoisters, we're still in the MVP. Liz, would you like to talk about your other half of your MVP? I I said it in the previous episode as well, if you listen to the spoiler-free one, but Lana Condor uh, was definitely an MVP for me. Like, she just I, – I love her character. She's kind of got, like, a mystery to her, and I really love that actress. Like, she's just killing it this year. So she does something very similar in the graphic novel, except she, she jump kicks – through the front window of the cops and takes them out. And maybe I would have hated that scene, but part of me like really wishes she would have done that. She has just so many cool action scenes and little parts. And Liz, I want, I meant to ask you about this before in high points. Um, I remember in our game of Thrones episode that you kind of, you dig the game of Thrones for being graphically violent Mm -hmm. and showing like graphic assault. I noticed in deadly class that like this show we could think of as being very violent, but not a lot of it was explicit. No. I noticed a lot of it happened with some uh, clever cuts. Yes. I also think, mind you, Game of Thrones female characters get much stronger, but these female characters are strong right off the bat. Like, uh, they might not be the quote-unquote protagonist. The two main women play really big roles in this pilot, which is cool. And so on that note, we are going to jump into our literary analysis. We're going to dive a little deeper into the pilot, the plot, the characters. You know, we already knocked off one of them. So Liz, how about you dive us into the mental illness and how that relates to this pilot? Um, I did think it was interesting in this pilot how they portrayed people with mental illness. And mind you, this is an issue throughout all of comics um, where it's kind of very poor, sometimes dangerous portrayals of mental illness. Um, But so the main character's parents are killed by a mental patient, which 
He was released from the hospital because Reagan cut funding. It's a weird start. And mostly the concern is, and even in the hobo camp, you kind of see this idea of like these these people are violent psychopaths, like mentally ill people. And even when he's at school, a lot of people call him like crazy and stuff. Um, and it's just one of those things where one out of four people have a mental illness and most most people who have severe mental illnesses are far more likely to be victims of violence than they are to be perpetuators of it. So it's it's just one of those things where if you don't have kind of a media literacy going in, it might kind of sway your reality of the world around you and how mental mentally ill people live, you know, if this idea that they're violent or, you know, and, and our media does it all the time whenever there's a mass shooting or something of that nature. And it's like a majority of people with mental illness are just like anybody else with a disability. They live their lives. Sometimes it's harder than others, but they are by no means violent individuals. They are still being demonized. Whereas you have like psychopaths are glorified. You know, now they're like superheroes. But people with mental illness, they're just, they're still monsters and drug addicts and violent criminals. Yes. And something we talk about too is like lazy writing is an aspect, you know, like, are they using like mental illness as a shorthand because of like, you're saying Liz, like if you don't have like a lot of media literacy, you know, you might just identify like this person's being like, Oh, that's a crazy person who would be violent as opposed to, you know, building something or like telling a different story, a different way. I definitely could see that it, it being lazy writing. I mean, you look at most of Batman's rogues gallery is just like, quote unquote, mentally ill people. And they all go to an insane asylum, which, you know, I guess you're not supposed to call it insane asylum, but they do. They call it Arkham Asylum. One of my problems is this felt a lot like Alan Moore and Frank Miller and just the world sucks and everything about the world is dark and violent and everyone in the world sucks. I think that Alan Moore is playing on some tropes when he makes Watchmen like really dark and gritty and stuff. Whereas I think that Frank Miller is kind of a dude with a shitty worldview and that he's not putting things as ironically on the page as Alan Morris. So that would be my distinction between the two, but I cut you off, Liz. I'm sorry. Well, I did get a lot of Watchmen vibes watching this. Both take place in the 80s. Both are kind of a dystopian 80s, um, 70s to 80s. Uh, the major difference, I mean, I feel like I'm very biased, though, because despite not liking Alan Moore, I truly believe that Watchmen should be held to the same regard as Catcher in the Rye or The Great Gatsby. I think it should be taught in AP literature classes. Um, I think high schoolers should have to read it because that book is chock full of um, symbolism. It is chock full of political themes of different ideologies that was ahead of its time. Uh, but that's that's just me being really biased. But I, I do kind of get that. I think the difference is this utilizes a more campy, almost humor feel in addition to that. Um, but I do think it balances those two tones well, except for at the very end. But otherwise, I do think the show's not afraid of its campy nature. I think Watchmen doesn't want to admit that it's campy. Watchmen is a reaction to the camp of like Batman 66, like yes. Adam West superheroes. But this is a reaction to like Watchmen. Yeah. So like it's they kind of like they're ping ponging yeah. or they're going up and down. I like that. And like maybe it ties back to to uh, the mental illness. But 
it seems like there's just a negative aspect of every single part about the world. And I guess that's what I'm burnt out on. Like, like, you know, like if you read Swamp Thing and a lot of other Alan Moore stuff, it all has that similar type of thing. And Frank Miller is part of the reason why all the mentally ill people are violent and crazy because he just sees the world as like this violent and crazy place. I mean, I can't speak for the writers of this show, but in regards to Remender's other work, I don't really see that. I see the comparison on this show and maybe this graphic novel, which, mind you, I haven't read. But in regards to his other graphic novels, they don't feel like Alan Moore or Frank Miller at all. They, they feel much more modern. They, I think this is kind of heavy on the angst because it's heavy on a high school drama. And that angst, just because it is so hyper-violent, kind of feels like uh, an Alan Moore piece of work. I also think they're playing to, like, the cliche of, like, the me-me-me and, like, kind of the quote-unquote, like, shittiness of the 80s, like, about how it was all, like, materialistic and really um, self-possessed. And it was, like, kind of an unkind decade with the trickle-down economics and stuff that you talked about, Liz. So <laughs> I think they're kind of hyper, hyper-actualizing, like, that part of the time period in the show. For sure. And that that ends up in the book being immensely important. So I could see also why that is is so important in in the pilot, Uh, because the whole like he wants to kill Ronald Reagan. I mean, that's like a huge thing. And and if you kind of draw it back to Watchmen, Nixon is a huge part of that book. Uh, Part of the reason Watchmen happened is because Nixon decided he didn't care and got a third term. And I mean, yeah, a lot of it is an alternative fiction, but it's still it's still very much it it carries those political dystopian roots. Dark Knight Returns, too, has a big Reagan um, aspect to it as well. Not subtle. (laughs) I mean, are you guys interested in all in the school? If not, let's move on. I feel like we talked about the school. I think we enjoy it and you don't. I, I really like the school, but I it reminds me of Morning Glories. And I'm a sucker for high school dramas and for prison dramas. And if you put them together, I'm kind of like, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. All right, Jimbo, why don't you lead things off for part three? So part three, Hoisters, we're going to step outside the pilot. I know we've been kind of stepping in and out, but now we're going to stay out, hopefully. And we're going to talk about some of the themes related to the, sh- to the pilot episode. So to the stage are Stormy Daniels dangling threads of interest. And since I'm going to probably mix up some of these episodes, in a couple weeks we're going to tell you that Stormy Daniels has made it. She's in Playboy. (laughs) And our first dangling thread, there's a line in the pilot where they say, strength feels better than weakness. And that seems to be one of the themes, and that's a whole philosophy behind Master Lin's school. And the character kind of buys in. And my pushback is like, really? Christianity, the largest religion in the world, kind of bases it on the exact opposite, kind of resist not evil, turn the other cheek, love your enemy as yourself. And so is strength really better than weakness? I think it depends on the definition of strength. In regards to this show, I think it's the idea of like survive or be killed. Um so I, I mean, I think in Christianity, it, it's it's less about that. Obviously, it, it's funny because I I grew up going to Catholic school, and I was always kind of it was this. I remember in high school because I had to do religion in high school, which is awful. 
Um, but I remember my professor, my teacher, he, he more or less, uh, said about the turn the other cheek thing that it's almost kind of like an ignoring a bully. Like it doesn't bother you. It's, it's kind of water off, off your back kind of thing. Obviously, if someone's literally stabbing you, it's different. I don't know <laughs> if that, if that can be conflated the same. Um, but I, I disagree with their definition of strength, but at the same time, it's kind of a very campy definition of, you know, this strength and this dystopian world. But I also, I don't have physical strength. I imagine if you're an assassin with a giant sword, you do. So, so it's just, it's kind of a, it is a different worldview. Another way to look at it in terms of like strength feels better than weakness is I think it again plays into that 80s trope of haves and have nots. Like the Wall Street, like greed is good thing. And so I think what they're kind of doing with like that philosophical idea or that theme in the pilot is they're again grounding it in a specific time period that I think we look back at with nostalgia. I can see that. Yeah, I think the 80s aspects of it are kind of bleeding through in terms of the way that Master Lin is looking at the world. And I think we're meant to look at it through the lens of history. And I think we could make an argument that that being like Jesus is is a very solid sign of strength and and not weakness. Yeah, I'm, I could see that. I mean, I mean that's very much like the kill them with kindness. What would Jesus do? He would listen to this podcast. <laughs> would he would he? have done the survey by <laughs> yeah. now, I guarantee do, that. Do you not remember our true detective episode, would he? Yes. yes. He would he would turn the other episode and listen <laughs> to the next one. And he would not leave a one-star review. He would leave a four-star review. Oh, and since we're talking about reviews, Hoisters, we need 200 reviews. So go ahead and give us a review on iTunes. Yeah. Reviews are ratings. They're different. Oh, ratings. Oh, just give us a rating. Oh, yeah. Ratings are easy. Four Four to five stars. We're fine with that. (laughs) I mean, five stars would be great if you're feeling it. But we're not picky. Exactly. All right. Maybe you're a big fan of Deadly Class and you're like, you guys are being too hard on them. Four stars. Maybe you're like, oh, I should watch this. Five stars. Both are good options. All right, Drew, lead us into your dangling thread. I think it's a little bit related to what we were kind of talked about. Somewhat. A really big monologue that Master Lin has is about individual actions changing the course of the world. And, I mean, my dangling thread is like, do you guys honestly believe that? Do you think that how causal are individual actions? I read a very interesting book called King Kaiser Czar, which reinterprets World War One. Because, like, Master Lin says that, like, because Franz Ferdinand um, was assassinated, he says, like, people believe that that's, like, the start of World War One. whereas King Kaiser Czar kind of posits that a series of escalating and increasing alliances by cousins who are all, because the King of England, the Kaiser of Germany, and the Tsar of Russia were all cousins because of intermarriage and stuff, and that their own interpersonal rivalry led to World War One just as much as Gabriel Principe, like, shooting this guy. So I kind of reject that notion of individual actions being causal. I think that, I don't know, I think that, like, world powers and, like, maybe world leaders have that power, but even then I think it's limited. I disagree. My favorite video game in the world goes back between Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Infinite is called Bioshock Infinite because it is the idea that there are infinite realities. And there are infinite realities because every single decision you make, there was a different decision that could have been made. 
So it's the idea that if I woke up and decided not to have coffee this morning, it would have changed the entirety of the co- like time-space continuum. And, and I, I truly kind of believe in that butterfly effect. It's the idea that, you know, if you think about little things that have just changed your life and not to make my life sound sad, but like, what if I adopted a different cat? Like, how different would that be? Like, if you pick up a different pen than you picked up and it doesn't have ink, that changes your day than if you picked up the other one. It, it's just like this weird butterfly effect. And I'm not saying every single decision you make is life-changing, but every single decision that is made has a effect on something, whether it be yourself or the world around you, I have no doubt. Yeah, I'm with Liz on this one. I was I was thinking butterfly effect, butterfly effect the whole time. You know, just, yeah. So like if Liz does or doesn't have coffee tomorrow morning, that decision might not affect me like an hour later, but over the course of like thousands of years, there's going to be a drastically different world, whether she has coffee or whether she doesn't have coffee. So that it might take like a hundred years. Well, does it matter if she's coffee then? It does. I should have coffee or else horrible things will happen. Well, based on what you just said, Jimbo, that you're like, it'll take thousands of years to change. I'm like, well, then does it matter? Yes. But. Yes, Liz. We'll get you that coffee. Liz, take the survey. Maybe you'll get a Starbucks it's gift true. certificate. You know, depending on on what Liz does, let's say the coffee makes her a little bit late for work or something. Like that's going to have like a domino effect. It might take a hundred years to reach a little girl in China as far as affecting her life, but eventually that's going to change the course of history. Yeah. Two things. <laughs> First thing is. Well, no, just two things. First thing is, Liz, we recorded the Game of Thrones episode less than a month ago, but when you mentioned if you'd adopted a different cat, you introduced yourself as mother of a cat, but, like, we coined that term because, like, Daenerys Stormborn had all these, like... she's mother of dragons. You used to be, like, mother of cats. I am mother... I have... I have cat. She's over there. Was that... Was that your point, Drew? Well, no, it's just... I meant to say it earlier, and I didn't. And you can edit that out. (laughs) My second one is, um... I have committed a poem to memory, one of the few, and it's from, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was Ben Franklin's pseudonym when he was writing A Farmer's Almanac, and basically it's the poem For Want of a Nail, and it is, if I remember correctly, um, For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the knight was lost. For want of a knight, the battle was lost. The battle was lost and the kingdom fell, all for want of a nail. So... I also agree that small decisions matter, but I'm not sure that they change the course of the entire world every single one. It depends on, I mean, maybe not every single one. I wouldn't go that far, but I do think small decisions. And, you know, if you want to be like a hyper millennial, microaggressions can change the face of legislation, history, people, decisions people make, who people become 100%. I mean, if you look at physics, I mean, the physical composition of the world is going to be different depending on which way Liz goes in her house, you know, like if if she walks into the kitchen to make coffee versus if she walks out the door. That's getting into like quantum entanglement too. (laughs) It got metaphysical and then it got quantum metaphysical. (laughs) Okay. I'm good on that one if you guys are. That was fun. Nice. Uh, Jimbo, did you do the trivia? All right, horses, we're going to move into section four. It's going to be real quick. Yeah, it will be real quick. Because we didn't write any petard trivia. No, we did not. Liz is like the rating champion. I am, so we should not play. <laughs> That's an option. Okay. <laughs> and then I don't have to lose. 
That was a short section four, and um, <laughs> that is the fun part of the show, and it was very short. Fun and nonsensical. <laughs> it was the only fun extra, we had. Extra nonsensical tonight. Exactly. Sorry, lovers of fun. Next week, I'm going to release Big Little Lies, and then the week after that, we're going to release Six Feet Under, unless we do a show that's better, which we probably will. So Six Feet Under might just stick in the back burner for a while. It was bad. I'm glad I didn't watch that one with y'all. You're not missing a lot. It was one of those little choices. It would have drastically changed <laughs> yeah. the entire world. It would have made, I think I was like really busy that week. It probably would have made the week worse. That's not what oh, we way needed. Worse. It most certainly would have. <laughs> yes. Hoisters, if you can't tell by the plugs I'm about to announce, the show is officially over. But if you love us as much as we love us, we're going to stick around for a few more minutes. We would like to thank Jake Drew for our intro and outro music. Contact him, the link in the show notes, and he can make you some intro or outro music. We also have a list of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and things for you to follow. Just go ahead and, and go through all those. Click and follow all of them. And... Rate us on iTunes if you haven't yet. And take the survey if it's there. Uh, you can find some of my old movie reviews on butwhythopodcast.com. Uh, Liz is also an editor there. and She has comic book reviews and other articles. She can talk about it more now. I do. I just recently, as of, I guess, yesterday, uh, did a Best Nightwing Stories to date, in my personal opinion. Uh, so far, any bat family, bat-related articles are my best things. Because that one and Damian Wayne are like, competing for like our highest viewed <laughs> so which is cool but um i think coming up i have some comic reviews uh empty man from boom studios which is fantastic so far but i'm reviewing that later this week so yeah check that out uh jimbo has an underrated poetry blog that got assigned to someone's ap lit class on december 3rd so <laughs> go find it what's it called read good poetry I'm going to bring it back. I already have the first seven days of January all set up. If things go right, if I stay unemployed for a long amount of time, then the poetry blog is going to be popping. I believe in you. So just keep your fingers crossed. No one hires me. And, you know, we'll get by. Poetry will save us. Uh, What's going on, Shot Talk? What's going on, Shot Talk Show? You know, being being unemployed at all. Of course, I've been hustling. You know, I'm selling stuff on Facebook Marketplace. So far, it's been really good. You know, I usually like five dollars under underbid the you know the market. So I get like ten messages within the first couple hours. So if you're looking for good deals on Facebook Marketplace, you got to be quick, man. You got to be on there all the time. But anyways, this woman contacts me, and she wants to buy something, and she says, you know, can can she pick it up tomorrow? And then all of a sudden, she doesn't have a car, so she wants me to drop it off. At her house, and I'm like, okay, you know, you know, maybe she, you know, she, you know, she really needs this. It, you know, it's a bottle warmer, and I, you know, I could do something nice for her. And then all of a sudden, she gets off work late, so she needs me to come by late. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'll come by tomorrow. Next day, which was today, you know, I'm waiting for her to message me. She doesn't message me. I say, hey, you know, are you home yet? She's at Walmart shopping. Now she wants me to go meet her at Walmart to sell her this product. She doesn't have a car. She's walking. So she's. What is the total value? No. What is this transaction? No, no. That's not oh, worth goodness. the gas. And aggravation. This seems like a scam. I'm not. I know that you're selling things, but I feel like somehow this is a scam. I don't know I how. I get hyper paranoid about online transactions because I bought the desk that this computer is on. And I also got weird excuses 
And I was like, this person is a Russian. Like, they are in the Crimea. And they are, like, messing with me to disrupt our elections. (gasps) I don't know how. But I, yeah, keep going, Jimbo. What I thought happened? I was getting punked. I was like, I was like, how far is she going to take this? Now she doesn't, she doesn't drive. She's at Walmart. Now I'm an Uber driver. Now, now I'm going to drive <gasps> her ass home. I know, I know I'm going to have to give her a ride home. It's like cold. It's dark. It's raining, you know? No. So anyways, yeah. I'm, I'm like about to drop her. You know, I send her one more message. I, I say, Hey, if you're home now, I'll come by and bring it to you. If not, I'm going to sell it to someone else. She calls me back in like a minute and she gives me a big sob story. You know, if she had a car, she would have got it. She's at Walmart right now. She'll check out and walk home right now. She'll be there in 20 minutes. And so, of course, I feel sorry for her. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'll drive over to Walmart right now. That's fine. And so I did. I drive over to Walmart. I get there. I text her. I call her. She's not, she's not there. I'm She's just not like, there. The She's not there. You know, like Austin Kutcher is going to come out, or whatever his last name is, is going to come out and be like, punked. But anyway, she finally comes out after a couple calls in five or ten minutes. And so I sell her the product. I don't charge her extra for gas or time. You're too nice. I don't understand. Did she ask her ride right And home? then I asked her, do you want to ride home? Because, because I know she's somewhat close. She says, no, actually, I'm still shopping in Walmart. And I'm like, okay. Have a nice day. This is strange. That's a lot of shopping. It's very strange intense. happenings. Oh my god! Yeah, just I, crazy. So like, she's in there shopping, waiting for me to show up with her product. Like, this is better than Amazon. <laughs> yeah, you are beating Amazon, dude. You're an Amazon drone. Yeah. So if anyone, hey, if you need some stuff, I got some books on here. I also have a couple items. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna add. If you need them, you know, I deliver to wherever you're shopping, wherever you're at, really. <laughs> <laughs> you take people shopping. places too. You should put that in your ads. Be like, by the way, I will come to you and maybe take you somewhere and not in a creepy way. <laughs> There's, you can say not in a creepy way, but that doesn't make it not creepy. Not in a creepy way. Wink, wink. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> not in a creepy That doesn't help. That was like the time I got weirdly pulled over by a cop who made me get out of the car instead of coming to it. And then the first thing he said to me was, I'm not going to hurt you. And I was like, this isn't a cop. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I think he thought I was drunk, but I was coming home from the library. So college library. Yeah. Okay. I was like, regular libraries aren't open that late. No, it was finals week. And he is bought. He gets out of his car, but he yells at me like get out of the car, which was really strange because usually they only really do that if they think you're like armed. Um, So anyway, I got out of the car my boyfriend at the time was with me, luckily, so I felt a little better. But I got out of the car and the cop, like, comes over and he was like, why are you nervous? I'm not going to hurt you. I was like, jeez. And he just asked me, he asked me such weird questions, though. He was like, why do you have a North Carolina license plate, but a Florida driver's license? We're in Louisiana. And I had to, like, tell him my life story that, like, I worked for Disney for a while and my license expired. So I had to get a Florida one. Like, I'm an out-of-state student. And then he was like, all right, have a nice night. And I was like, what was the point of this? I The first time I ever got pulled over on the highway, I pulled over on the left-hand side. Because I could have sworn I'd seen that before. <laughs> and it made some sense to me. Because, like, then the traffic would be on your right side. And, like, you could get out safely on your left side. And the cop pulled up next to me and was not happy. So that wasn't a good beginning oh, to no. that traffic ticket. No, it's not. It makes sense in my head. I was outside of high school. But but I was taking my nephew's rafting. They're, they're maybe 
probably less than 10 years old, both of them. And, and my dad was dropping us up, dropping us off up river. And all of a sudden there's like this weird sound. It sounded almost like ducks quacking. And so we thought that like the raft, which, which was blowing up, fully blown up. So like, you know, the rear view mirror, you couldn't see behind us. And so my dad, he doesn't drive very well. So he's probably swerving a decent amount, but, but, uh, so like there's this weird quacking noise and I'm assuming the raft's about to fall out or like not tied up very well. So like, I, so I hop out of the car and I'm just wearing shorts and like probably sandals that, you know, I don't have a shirt on. I'm, and next thing I know, there's a cop. He pulls his gun out and just points it at me. And he's like, get back in the car. Get, get, he's just yelling. And I was like, what the hell? And so I hop back in the car and I'm like, I'm like, we just got pulled over by a cop. He just pulled his gun on me. <laughs> While I'm oh, like geez. rafting. Yeah, we're clearly going rafting. And so, yeah, so, like, he, like, comes up and starts, like, interrogating us, like, why did I jump out of the car? And we're like, your siren does not sound like a siren. It sounds like a a weird duck. So I didn't know we were getting pulled over. I thought the raft was falling out. But, yeah, it was just really strange. This guy, you know, he was older. He had gray hair. So I don't know if he thought I was some meth head or something going to hop out and kill him. I wasn't dressed. You know, I wasn't dressed appropriately, I guess. (laughs) Young rafting punk. That's what all the cool kids do these days. They go rafting. <laughs> oh my god! Well, that's, hey, shop talk. That's three stories of your hoistlers getting pulled yep. over. Three different situations. Uh, you guys good? Yeah, man. We can't beat that. I guess you're right. Every day I'm hoistling Drew out. Every day we hoistling Jimbo out. Every day we hoistling. Have a good night, guys. <laughs> <laughs>